Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country. As they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, friends. This is Adam Mixon, the content curator with the Ministry Collaborative. I'm here with my colleagues, Mark Ramsey, Ryan Bonfilio, Adam Borneman, and Jennifer Watley-Maxell. As we discuss the tremendous opportunity we're facing in this season, on the surface, things are disorienting and unsettling, we're looking at the opportunities that we might have in this season to foster a different type of learning and a different type of formation in our communities and our churches. I want to kind of trot out an idea with my colleagues and see if it gets any traction. There is a type of learning model, especially in adult learning, that begins with disorientation. And it necessarily leads to a period of exploration or what I call creative examination and then a type of reorientation. And I kind of bracket there, Jennifer, meaning and purpose that leads to a type of balance and equilibrium or a type of growth or an environment that at least inspires growth. And I was just wondering, what do y'all think about that when you think about the context of the church and how we disciple and how so many of us want certainty? What happens if we start with disorientation or uncertainty? Well, I think it's a natural progression. I mean, I think disorientation is the place, even just naturally, where we kind of start to work through the process of reorientation or learning or growth or whatever we want to call it. I think the challenge institutionally is that in westernized institutions, we tend to be very focused on critique-based learning. And when we are so focused on critique and we are so focused on disorientation and breaking down people's assumptions, expectation, ideas, beliefs. I think the problem is that we spend so much time doing that and we assume that by the time they graduate and finish our institutions, then they have worked through the process of orientation and they're back to a place of stability. I think that that is where the problem comes in. Cause I think a lot of times we don't do that restorative work. We don't really help people to kind of reorient. Instead, people are graduating, finishing institutions and going out and starting in the work world, not having done that work. And I think sometimes congregations, other academic institutions, employers are kind of paying the price And they don't even know they have to do that work because they're making the assumption that these people they're hiring have done that work for themselves. I think that's very helpful. I'm all for growth being a goal. I'm not sure I'm for balance being a goal. Just talking as someone who's lived on this planet for six decades, I look back on the times when my life was in balance and it's precious few days. I'm more interested, particularly in the Christian story, of how we can look for the presence of God, regardless of whether we feel balanced or not. And to be honest, times I felt balanced are the times I head for the hills as far away from a dependence on God as I can, just to be wrenched back to it. And I'm seeing this not just in personal stories right now, but also in congregational stories. 
it seems like every congregation is searching for balance and they're not finding it and that's not going well for them. It's interesting too that just recently we have a podcast conversation with David Saul, and one of the things we talked about was the arrival fallacy, and, and that speaks volumes to me about we have this myth in our minds that, first of all, a myth that disorientation is inherently a bad thing for us. That's just sort of the semantic range it conveys, that disorientation's bad and that we need to get to something else. Well, the getting to something else is also a fallacy, because if we look back at life, we know that there is no just getting to something else that's just going to last forever. That is that arrival fallacy. And and I'm more and more convinced, to Jennifer's point, there is this deeply held myth in our own Christian pedagogy that Willie Jennings gets at, that we need to possess, master, and control things, Mm -hmm. which to me, I see this as a big part of the problem with receiving disorientation as something that can be very life-giving. That disorientation should be something that is constructive for us, that is healthy for us, that disorientation is not just chaos, it's the beautiful complexity of the Spirit's work. So it's not just a matter of what do we do with disorientation, but actually seeing it through a very different lens and living in, in it with wisdom and faithfulness and a discernment of the Spirit. I think you're so right. And as you're talking, one of the assumptions that I think we make is that when people come into either our churches or they come into our schools or our workplaces, that they have a certain level of discipleship under their belt. And when we look at the generations, you know, we have Xers, I'm an Xer, millennials, X and Y and Z or whatever they are now. I can't remember. My teenagers, I'll just say their generation. We see that we have a vast amount of unchurched people. And I think that part of the problem is that people seek certainty, Mm -hmm. particularly when they have underdeveloped faith. And I think what happens is sometimes people come to us trying to make meaning and trying to be discipled and just trying to learn about God and faith. And we make the assumption that there's something that they already know that then has to be questioned, has to be problematized, has to be critiqued. And I think that's a big difference in what we're seeing now and perhaps people that we were pastoring or teaching, I mean, 10 years ago. I mean, I just think when I was in seminary, I think there were a lot more people who were churched who were in seminary with me than there are now. Jan, I want to pick up on that idea and how it relates to seminary. It used to be, I think, that people arrived at seminary because of a sense of call. And now more commonly, people arrive at seminary because of a conversion. Mm. And I don't always mean a conversion to Christianity, but I mean a conversion often out of a form of Christianity that was hurtful, Mm -hmm. that was problematic, that caused trauma, that caused them to want to leave that particular tradition. So in that sense, Jen, people are arriving at seminary for their formative theological studies in a moment of disorientation or in response to a moment of disorientation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's actually a wonderful opportunity, but also it creates challenges and problems, particularly if we see this movement of orientation, disorientation, reorientation as a linear movement, that you move through it once and then you arrive at reorientation. We Many of us know of this schema of orientation, disorientation, reorientation from 
Walter Brueggemann and his typology of the Psalms. But if you read closely and follow his footnotes, he's picking this all up from the French literary critic Paul Ricoeur. Mm -hmm. And Ricoeur speaks of this not as a linear movement, but as a spiral. Mm -hmm. One is constantly in this cycle of moving from orientation, disorientation to reorientation, and then back again into disorientation. So we don't arrive at this place, Mark, to your point of balance. We don't have to get through this once and then it's there, but it's a continual process of formation. And so always and again, we have to face the disorientation and what that means for our past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that kind of dovetails into where I started and the model that I was speaking about of disorientation, exploration, reorientation, that is an educational model. But the point is, is that it is a process that continues. It's never a point of, to Adam Borneman's point about arriving, but it's kind of committing to a certain process. Now, that does make me want to ask a question. If this is a spiral or it is a cycle that we go through, what can we say that we do know? What is at the center of the spiral? I think for us, that's the gospel. As disorienting as it is, as it's surprising as it was, this gospel, the entirety of it, the death, burial, and the resurrection, how confusing it was, that's at the center of our spiral. And apart from that, we can assume nothing else. We can't assume where people are in their understanding of that message, but that's at least where we center ourselves as we attempt to serve the church or serve some other religious institution. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that for a lot of us who are people of faith, that is our centering. But I think it's an assumption that we make that those who are coming to us also have that same centering. Mm -hmm. And the question that I'm wrestling with is how do we assess or determine where people are when they come into our space, whatever space that is, mm. to then determine what they need and how we move them through our systems. You're so right to identify it as a spiral, Ryan. And because of that, what I'm also thinking is then it matters where you enter the spiral. Mm-hmm. Because where you enter the spiral has an effect on how you then progress through the rest of the system. And again, I think a lot of times in our systems, we're making the assumption that everybody is entering at the same place in the system. I know when I was in seminary as a black woman of 40 years old, there were a lot of assumptions that were made in texts by professors, by other students about where I was and my location in the seminary that were vastly untrue because of my situation. And so I had to do a lot of my own mitigation to make it through and be somewhat healthy. Well, I think, again, as a grown woman at 40 years old who knew who she was and had a deep faith, that's one thing. But when I looked at a lot of my colleagues who were fresh out of undergrad, 21 years old, more questions than answers, just trying to figure it out, a lot of them are still trying to patch themselves up from that experience. And I don't think that's what any of us wants when we're talking about preparing people, discipling people for whatever is coming next in their experience. And to that end, Jen, that resonates not just with people coming out of seminary and trying to discern 
what's the next move? But I think that's how people are leaving churches on Sunday. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? Because we're not taking into consideration where people are on this Bible. We're assuming that they know the grand narrative, Mm -hmm. that, of course, Jesus lives and he lives in us and all of that stuff. And we're not meeting them effectively where they are. And we're sending them into a world poorly formed. And uh, some of them have been a part of our communities for years. Yeah, I think these are incredibly good points. And I think we're really getting something... Jen, I particularly like your where we enter the spiral. I think that's an important thing. But also the expectations. Adam, you used the phrase surprising. That is not a goal of anybody I've ever met in church. They don't want to be surprised. In fact, they want the exact opposite. They're coming because their life is a mess, and they want certitude, a place to stand. We all want that. And I say this as lovingly and gently as I can. Most folks I have ever met in church, including me, including us, are faking it a lot of the time. We're faking that we've got it together. We're faking that we understand the gospel story. We're not in possession of the very thing we think we aspire to. Since it's the onset of winter, and as we're recording this, there's a a nasty storm in the Midwest, and that's where I'm from. The first thing I learned in driving as a teenager in a storm was all counterintuitive. You do not put on the brake. You do not put on the accelerator. You turn into the skid, not away from the skid. Apply the metaphor to our faith journeys. We need to roll with it and trust that God will be our balance. God will find us wherever we are in the spiral and take us from there. And you know, clearly there are people of piety and faithfulness who do are, are a little farther along and having it together. But I assume in any Christian gathering, most of us are hanging by a thread. You know, what strikes me about the ministry of Jesus and all of that is that there doesn't seem to be a broad brush stroking remedy for disorientation or reorientation. It really is meeting people where they are. And what makes it even more complex, but what I see so clearly, again, in the ministry of Jesus is that it's different parts of people. (laughs) that need disorientation or that need reorientation and that people really are met where they are and it's different parts of their lives that Jesus meets and encounters. You know, it's even convicting for me in a sense to listen to this conversation because I think, you know, there are parts of my own life that are due for some reorientation, that I need to get a sense of where things are headed. There are other parts of my life that probably need to be disrupted a bit, that need some disorientation for the sake of my own growth, for the sake of my own wisdom, for the sake of my own faith. And Mark, you're exactly right. I think what's hard about the life of ministry for pastors and lay leaders and churches is that it requires a lot of investment for us to meet people really where they are. Institutional life does not lend itself very well to that, but there really is so much at stake. And not only is there things at stake, but there's an incredible beauty that can emerge from doing that ministry well. One of the things I've been thinking about is what happens when I get stuck in the spiral and I don't move forward when I'm not open to the necessary disorientations that my own life and faith need. And for me, for you Enneagram fans out there, I'm a six, which means I crave (laughs) stability. I crave certainty. That means that disorientation hits me at a level that's really tender. It's an Achilles heel. It's a fear. It's an anxiety. And Because of that orientation that I have, because of that craving for stability, I can dig in and not allow disorientation to happen because it's not now part of this process of discipleship that leads me ever further to Christ, but it's a threat 
to what I crave in life. And that's the biblical word for that is just idolatry. I idolize the stability and certainty that comes with not being disoriented. And that's my work and challenge. And I, I wonder how that lands for others and kind of where we find ourselves and our weaknesses on this spiral and movement. Hey, y'all, we didn't really name what disorientation is. One of the things that I thought was helpful when I was thinking about it when it came up was that to be disoriented means to lose sense of time and place and identity. And the only way to reorient in some ways is to locate ourselves in time and place. There has to be some centering. And while we cannot find that in our circumstance, again, maybe that's the call of the gospel rather than to focus or fixate on a future point or some past point, but to focus on the present Christ, the one who is present with us in the spiral, kind of like what Mark was saying, who makes meaning of the past for us, hindsight 2020, but who also is the only one capable of mastering our future. So much of reorientation, I think, is about rooting in the present, talking about the today, and not um, digging in, like you said, Ryan, to what makes me comfortable. I think this speaks to what we've said. We have to meet everyone where they are, because Adam, I agree. For some people, it is losing time and space. For others, it's the time and space they're occupying all too poignantly is so abjectly painful that they can't imagine how they got there. Mm. And they can't imagine where God is in it. And I think we've done a disservice. I speak as someone who's led congregations. We've done a disservice when we sell the myth that all you need to do is come to God and it'll all look clear. There are seasons of life that never look clear, and yet God is still God. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.